What is good, everybody? We are back at it with the Four Mandalore podcast for season two, episode three of The Mandalorian, The Heiress. Guys, we have got some serious lore on our hands this evening. We've got a lot to talk about. I want to get right into it. We got T-Bob. We got the jetpack Don himself, Jesse, and I'm Nick. Guys, can you believe this episode? Uh, it was... Uh... It, it may, uh, no exaggeration, no hyperbole, it may be the best Mandalorian episode we have had thus far, but I will cede the room to the Jetpack Don because he is our lore master and this is his episode to shine. Don, what do you think about episode 10, 11, 12, 12, 10? It doesn't matter. The 11 episode 11, the, yeah, 11, the heiress. I think it was the best 35 minutes of Star Wars we've seen in live action since Revenge of the Sith. Man. Wow. Wow. Okay. All right. You had. Break, break it down. Break it down. You had the Mandalorians that we've. We had the, the Iron Man creator, John Favreau, create the Jetpack Warriors. And we got tied into all kinds of different storylines, Clone Wars, uh, Rebels, Battlefront, uh, KOTOR, I'm sure, somewhere down the line. And I think this is the coolest thing we've seen in, in Star Wars in a long time. These jetpack fights were amazing. The introduction of Bloodlines and Mandalore and Generational... Uh, you know, impacts uh, the the drop of Ahsoka Tano at the end. I mean, they are going full Monty into bringing the animated storylines, the video game storylines, and I think the depth of the series allowed for a thirty-five minute episode of from start to finish, jaw-dropping things happening that you. You, when is the last time you felt like that watching Star Wars? I mean, I can't remember. You're I stood up and who, when she came in and saved his ass from the Korans, that is one of the mm. greatest introductions of a character mm. in Star Wars. I mean, come on, Preach. the music, the jetpacks, the freaking helmet was perfect. And they kicked the shit out of these guys. And all of a sudden, we've got we've got this whole new world of, of Mandalorian rule of, of of taking off your helmet. Mando is just getting his head spun, and I just thought it was one of the greatest things I've seen since Revenge of the Sith. So, I mean, it, you're you're right on so many counts, and I guess where I where where I would start and well I mean like whatever I had some of those feelings during last Jedi but that's neither here nor there um they definitely what I think you're touching on and it's so huge this episode to me is in 35 minutes right everything was so densely packed there's so much that happens the unreal expansion of Mandalorian culture is kind of mind-blowing in this episode if you really engage with it and you really think about it like y'all two have taught me to do. Like, 
to this point, do you remember last season we were talking about this and we were like, why does Mando have his helmet on, right? Like in in like Clone Wars and other stuff and in the video game, like their Mandalorians took their helmet off. Like, why is this suddenly a thing? Like all of a sudden this episode, we learn that Mando is kind of the, a member of like a religious like cult, right? Almost like, like a Jehovah's right. Witness or something. Like he is a splinter cell of Mandalore. Like for the general public, this has been their only eyes into Mandalore. And now they learn that the Mandalorian is actually not really a Mandalorian. Like he doesn't really know what the way is or what true Mandalore is like. And now you have these, uh, these new Mandalorians, they land and they immediately take off their helmets and they look so badass and they're so opposite of everything we know at this point. That is such an impressive um, gamble to take, like such a leap of faith that the public will keep up with that. And I, I, I think it's going to pay huge dividends because I think now this story just gained so much depth in one fell swoop and in interactions that took place over like five minutes. That is the real summation of what we got going on here. We finally hit the point in the series where we're like, this is it. We're actually intersecting with the big, big brain lore, the big time lore. Like that's what this episode gave us. And it gave us it in a time frame that was shorter than most other episodes, but we've actually hit the point in Mandalorian where it becomes a cornerstone of the lore. And I think this episode was incredibly pivotal for that. And Nick, it's like you said, dude, earlier in the week or last time we talked, what you think is filler and what can feel like filler, right? Yeah. Is letting this thing marinate, really knowing when the time to make it pop. When do you pull the trigger? When do you buy the stock? Whatever you want to compare it to. And the two episodes, both, I think one of them was the, the Great Dragon may have been the longest episode of the series. Uh, followed was, by yeah. another one and what it did was it's like it's like Filoni said in the in the behind the scenes on on Disney plus Star Wars at its base core thing is about family right that's what it's right. about and to have the uniting moment of of frog lady and and her husband that was this really touching musical genius mm. moment where we are in so the nice. family is in i am invested in here and then boom here comes bo katan the last of her line we've seen her sister murdered we've seen their whole planet destroyed and for her to have that maximus moment right when he pulls his helmet off and he lets commodus know that you know i'm maximus it's not quite to that level but you got this proud, noble warrior vibe from her. And I just thought that they that y'all were right about the filler. It's marinating. It's doing the gumbo the right way. It's smoking the brisket, yeah. whatever you want to say. What a good analogy. And, and, and they Very did good. it. And and that, I'll stop there. But it really kind of drives from the point that it's none of this has been filler. No, and, and, and I think the frog people are, are, are real interesting to highlight because I think they're so easy to dismiss but to dismiss them would be a mistake because Jesse, you pointed out this to me when we were just talking on the phone is like, uh, they, they, when you think about baby Yoda's upbringing, right. And what he's been exposed to, there's something that we've talked about a few times, these episodes, it's, it's an incredibly violent upbringing. He, he, it's, it's, it's not peaceful at all. Like what he's experiencing would scar anybody. And what a, 
respite from that storm hanging out with this frog family would be. And and so if you want to get real big brain, what, what, what I kept thinking about is like, when I think about a lot of the shots, right? Very few, I mean, no shots, ideally, right? In a very well-shot piece of live action, no shot is wasted. There's too many thousands of dollars behind every single shot for anything to be mispurposely placed. Right. They did a very interesting job of, I, I don't know if it was making Baby Yoda appreciate life, I don't know if it was maybe just adding simple levity to the script, but 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 in terms of what having him look at the eggs and the swelling emotional music, and then he sees it hatch, and like all of a sudden he realizes maybe this is more than just food. To the point at the end, even though we see him eat multiple creatures in other spots in the episode, in the end, when there's a tasty baby Yoda creature in front of him, he's not eating it. And I don't know if it's because he recognizes there's emotion there or life there, but um but but just the, the the entire frog family is it's it's it gives some emotion that this that a lot of this show just does not have right kind of love familial connection and and in fact i thought it was very interesting when you first see the two frogs hugging you see mando kind of look at them and even though he's got this helmet on i couldn't get you know help the feeling that like it made him happy to see them but it was almost a bitter happiness because he knows that he will never have that. It's just not what he was born to do. It's not what he was quested to do. And so the more I watched this episode, the more I came to appreciate, like you said, Nick, like the filler of last episode, the story of the frog lady and the family. And like you said, what Dave Filoni believes in Jesse, like the familial connection of star Wars, it just continued to resonate the more I watched this episode. And do you think Mando will never feel that? Or that he has felt it and won't again. Maybe I got, or I suppose say never feel it like, or like has it and won't ever. Because no, I but, feel like he may have felt that connection, but when, when he had gotten adopted by that clan. Oh, adopted by the clan. Okay. I thought maybe you were going to revisit when he stayed in the village last episode and that, that, yeah, that, or that last season, a, almost girl. but even that was very surface level. You're right. right. No, 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 Nick. I think you hit on something important here, which I think he does have that connection with the clan, which explains his zealotry. It explains yep. why he was ready to kill IG 88 instead of take off his helmet, even though that's a droid. And not even a human being because they saved him. They indoctrinated him. Think about where Mando's at. He just essentially got told in a fascinating way by Bo-Katan. By using the saying, this is the way. He essentially got told that everything he believed up to this point has been a bit of a, a warped perspective. Right? Not true Mandalore. That, when, when she says that, bro, like the, the inner monologue that goes on in your head of what the implications are of that one line so, has so many branches. So I want to point out this. So to me, two times stood out. They exchange it in pleasantries early on, but the final two times she says it first. So like a great empire strikes back callback where she's all of a sudden saying, we're going to take the ship. Mando's like, what? I didn't sign up for this. And Mando literally says, you're changing the terms of the deal. Vader yeah. in empire says, you know, pray that I don't alter them further. She says, this is the way. And it's essentially the same thing. Like, fuck you. You're going to listen to me. But she says it in a very mocking tone. Like, right? Like, that's how you justify your yes. actions. This is the way. Then, right. at the end of the episode, when she's trying to recruit him and they've accomplished their mission, and she's talking about what they are trying to accomplish, she hits him with a sincere, 
this is the way. And to me, that's her telling him, like, this is true Mandalore. It's not about, I mean, I get that you're on this quest right now, you're honorable, you got to finish that quest. But it's not about hiding yourself. It's not about just trying to survive. True Mandalore, we are trying to rule once again. That's why we stole this ship. That's why we got these weapons. And this is actually the way. And and the subtlety in that, and, and for the messages they delivered, it was incredibly acted. It was well-written, and it's just fantastic in all points. And Jesse, I, I really appreciate this. That's the voice actress that plays Bo-Katan in this episode? Yeah, absolutely. Katie Sackhoff. And let's just tip our cap. <laughs> These voice actors are are talented people who at one point, I believe, just needed their shot, right, to get on the screen and to make their play. But they love acting. They love the business. Yeah. And, and these people have put in a lot of work. So imagine what she's got to feel like. Here's a character that you have voiced from inception, right, who you are this character and have been it from the very beginning. And then you just so happen to physically look the same and have similar characteristics, and you get casted to play that character live action yeah. in a Marvel, Star Wars, freaking come mashup directors. I mean, that is amazing That's come amazing. up. And you've got to just tip your cap and, and the immediate reaction from 99.9% .9 of the fan bases was, she was awesome. This is awesome. We want more. We want more Mandalore. I mean, that is where Star Wars is headed. The infinite possibilities of storylines are there. And this and and what Din Djarin's about to realize, and what I think we're about to realize is there's a bigger deal here. And you're gonna go if if you want to be about that Mandalore life, we're gonna get our planet back, bitch. You yeah. know, like, yeah, exactly. And that's so, what that final this is the way about. Yeah, that's like, exactly. She, right, she's right. like, she's like telling like, hey, this is the actual deal, dude. Okay, it's not about scrounging in the shadows. But Jesse, you do, you do such a good point there because so much of the strengths of this show that we've talked about are defying Hollywood tradition, right? And it's John Favreau learning all these lessons in technology and video games and VR and making um, um the Lion King and 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 George of the Jungle and 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 or what was it? Well, whatever you get the Jungle Book, right? The point is, it's all these masterful techniques and 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 another thing they've done, right? We've mentioned how they're uniting the Star Wars fan bases. They're bringing in the Kotor lore, the Battlefront lore, all these different lores. Uh, hiring the voice actors to actually play the parts is so incredibly rare and and it's so against the grain and it could and like you said define hollywood tradition it's one of the core reasons why this show succeeds so much because it takes so many chances that other shows are not willing to and even now in season two and beyond they can keep going there because they have the belief and they have um the money. Okay, okay, look, where do y'all want to go from here? Because I have a list of thoughts um, that, that, that uh, you know, eventually, like little jumping points that, that I want to eventually discuss. But do we want to talk about the favorite thing in this episode? Like, how do y'all want to handle this right now? Because this is chock full of things to talk about. I think we could go any number of ways. I really want to discuss what happens to Mando next because we could talk about the content of this episode as much as we want. But really, 
the implications are a lot more. I think there's a lot more meat in those implications. Okay, so before we get to that though, let's 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 bask in this episode a little bit. Um okay, I, I okay, here's here's here here's a uh launching point for me, right? Um at the very beginning of the episode, we see the ship, and it's so funny how this episode grew. We see the ship, it's coming in hot. Uh, it's like Mando looks like he pulls it off, and then right when he's about to land, one engine blows, he's in the water. The comedic timing of this show remains uh, impeccable. And then we're introduced to this new planet. Um, what did you think about this this water planet full of Mon Calamari and... Uh, and Quarren. Is it Quarren? 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 I think it's Quarren's. Quarren. Yeah, Thank I always you. say Quarren. No, y'all are right. Uh, but what'd y'all think? But, what'd y'all think about these cultures? These are new cultures that we got introduced to on this rough landing. And that's the that's the great thing about Trask as the planet. They made it atmospheric as hell. Yes. It is an extremely atmospheric planet. Like, you get the desperation vibe of the people who are there. You get the gloom and doom feel and you can tell why there's holdout Imperials on this planet. I mean, that that's just absolutely the vibe that they're going for. I think that when you see the lifestyles that these corn are living and that you go on the deadliest catch scene where they're out feeding the big monster and stuff like that is such good atmosphere and world building. And I've really loved how they established. You feel like you understand these people by just a few minutes of watching what they do. I have, I have a question for the group, um, and Jesse, you could start here. Do you think the Quarren had attempted to do this to multiple Mandalorians? It was an expert plan, but and at first I felt that was the feeling, but upon further rewatch, when they have him trapped, they're like, oh, we got the Beskar now, we're going to be rich, right? If they'd already captured a Mando with Beskar, they would already be rich. Like, What do you think? Had oh, yeah. they done that before, or was this new? No, here, here's what I think about that. I think Nick is right. We have landed in this kind of seedy uh, marina harbor type town that's a hard work, you know, a, a port of call. And everywhere in America and across this world, ports are where things are, are trafficked, whether it's people, goods, drugs, yes. it doesn't matter. Yeah. And yeah. so you're, you, you do see, a, you know, ports are where people, you know, disappear and, and where they, where, where things can have pirates and these things. But, where I th- wait, hold on. What was the question again? It was, um, it was like, uh, oh god. Okay, so to be fair, we are a little <laughs> drunk recording this right now. No, no, I know you were doing so good. We were talking about the planet. Oh, oh, here it was. Sorry, it was. Do you think the Quarren have done this to multiple Mandalorians? No, no. This is what I think, and this is what, and this is some shit that Mando's about to learn. When we first see Sasha Banks or Costca Reeves, you know what she's in? You think she's not standing out there with her shiny ass oh, fucking best right. car yes. like some yep. sucker. She's got on a black hoodie, you know, draped up and not sticking out like a sore thumb. I truly Facts. believe these people are like, hold up, who is this shiny dick in the Mandalorian dumbass, outfit? Dude, fucking dumbass. Like, you might as well wear a billboard. And, like, look at me. And, and and they and they do that too when he walks into the inn. You hear uh you hear Quarren if you turn on the, the subtitles on Disney Plus to say he's wearing Beskar. Yes, you know? yeah. And you can I mean, look at it, this guy. You know? And he's by himself. And what I think he's learning, and I think what we're all what we know is Mandalorians are wolves, bro. They roll in packs. And yeah. so if you so 
sure Bo-Katan and her two lieutenants will will they'll pull their kind of they don't shine it up it's kind of hidden dirty uh armor in the in the uh in the cantina but you're not just gonna run up on three mandalorians you know no, he's out no. here with he needs to say so no, tighten him up well okay okay exactly so now we've arrived at something that me and jesse have thought about uh which is and and Nick, I don't know how much Rebels you've seen yet, but Sabine Wren in Rebels, uh, a Mandalorian hero in her own right, um, she is known for her artistic expression, her spray paint, the the Bo-Katan armor and the Night Owls. That is purposefully painted to be muted, right? Like Mando's armor catches the light, it shines, it's super reflective. Okay, well let's start here. Do we believe that they all have Beskar, the Night Owls? I do, right? Yeah, shit, they, yeah, they, they, get, do. they get shot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, okay, okay, okay. Are I, you I, but, but, but I just want to have Beskar. Yes. They got the Mithril of Beskar, exactly. dude. I mean, they are. We're talking, this stuff's been in their families for a long okay. time. Okay, 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 exactly, right? And so, but they, they have obviously painted that. They've purposely camouflaged themselves when they made it a little less gaudy, less flashy. I mean, why would you want it catching the light, right? Exactly. So you got to think that eventually they're going to paint it. And as Jesse pointed out, I mean, Sabine would be a perfect person to graffiti Mando's armor or to eventually paint his armor, whatever that may be. Jesse, right now, I think is a good a time for you to um, flex some of your lore master knowledge. And for those listening that may not know some of the backstory of Bo-Katan, can you give us some context on who this warrior princess is that we meet with this crazy bob cut that looks like SEAL Team 6 on steroids? Yes, that's right. So I'll do it. I'll do it as quick as I can without getting in the weeds as much as I can. Bo-Katan is from a Clone Wars era of, of Filoni and, and Star Wars creation. She is the sister of Duchess Satine. She is the head of what is a group called the Night Owls, which at the time was primarily female uh, Mandalorian warriors. Uh, Satine at one point was also one of these. Satine, when she becomes Duchess, she, she becomes a figurehead and into the politics and is trying to kind of uh, changed the way that Mandalore is governed with more of a pacifist, as they would call it, avoiding war, avoiding conflict, kind of, you know, modernizing, westernizing, you know, their, their whole culture. There's a group called the Death Watch, which at the time Bo-Katan is, in, is aligned with, because she's not aligned with Satine. She's recognizing that, we are at war. There's some real deep, dark shit happening here. And we have to, we are Mandalorians and we can't forget it. We have thousands of years of history of being some badass mofos. And the Empire, what they've, what she let us know now is that this was all done in calculus to separate, splinter the Mandalorians because a, a, a unite. Look what three of them do to an, an imperial freighter. Uh, I, I will throw Mando in there as a fourth, but he was just a spectator at that point. But Bo-Katan is, uh, is then uh, the sister of Satine. She is killed by Darth Maul and right in front of Obi-Wan, which was his love interest at the time, is one real kind of 
slip up with the force there. Wait, wait, okay, so so but let's highlight that for a second, uh, Jesse, because that is so key, right? Because you think about the Obi-Wan and Anakin relationship being so core to Star Wars, and essentially they're brothers more than they are the father-son relationship, as Filoni kind of pointed out. But Anakin uh, gave himself over to love. And I guess it's a weird lesson to be drawn. Or maybe there's no lesson to be drawn. But, but Anakin gave himself over to love, right? He allowed that to happen and he, and he lived in it. Obi-Wan had that with Satine, those same feelings that Anakin and Padme did. But he he did the tough like monk like choice and he and he rejected it right and and he moved it on right am i i mean am i right there yeah absolutely and but in obi-wan does it in the james bond kind of way man mm. you know he he's just so smooth in the way that he that he handled his kind of i guess temptation to the you know outside of the balance right of of going for attachment and things which jedi weren't for so she's killed maul then gets the dark saber by defeating the death watch captain bo katan recognizing that this is not right pulls off a, an escape and, and and gets out of there Why, while maul then becomes the ruler of mandalore effectively wielding the dark saber as the death watches his crew okay these are the religious zeal zealots or zealots are that rescued our foundling Din Djarin, who became the Mandalorian, right? That's so, the main character so, of the show. So, so that is, so that is, is, is that a hypothesis right now? You, you, you think that Death Watch from the Clone Wars cartoons, which is the military faction that have rule, you think that they are the ones that founded the chapter of Mandalorians that our titular hero was raised by? Yeah, I think so. I mean, she oh. said... You know, she said their kid, the children of the watch, you know, you're a children of the watch. They were oh, these kind of death watch. True. Oh my God. You, you know, these true, uh, got some Lord. brains exploding here on the yeah, set of four men. Yeah. So these are duh. the guys who, to, who really believed, you know, keep your helmet on and, and that, and, and I guess a little more over the top, but some of them went into take off their helmets, but they, this is where he comes from. I think the death watch. And I think they're going to have to explain that to the naive. What they're probably anticipating is guys like Nick and T-Bob are, are, are going to go watch all this stuff, right? Rewatch it. But then they're somehow going to have to explain to the naive watcher of this who've never seen any of this stuff who these people are. And I think you'll get some, some, some great dialogue, maybe even a flashback or two. To bring I mean, it all, bring all the history in. Th th that is that is going to be the challenge, right? As storytellers, right now, and that's and that's why I describe this episode as such a massive leap of faith. Because again, we know this stuff, but I can't. I, I'm. I, I try to place myself in the viewer who's just like, I like the Mandalorian. You know, I like the original trilogy. Maybe I saw a prequel or two. Up to this point, you have only known one type of Mandalorian. And not only do they tell you there's other types, but they tell you that the guy you've been following is actually like in a huge minority. And and I'm very intrigued to see how 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 they sell that to the public. I, I almost wish we could have someone on who is approaching it from that perspective and like feel what their understanding of it of it was. Oh, it's Question City. They, they've got so many questions, and what I think they're doing is they're diving into the internet and reading YouTube, maybe trying to catch up quickly, or they're re-watching 
you know, maybe watching these series. If you have Disney Plus, it's a great way to direct your customer to more of your content for sure. Mm. Um, but Bo Katan, and you can't underestimate and underestimate her relationship with Ahsoka Katano, which I don't want to just jump there, but that was probably that was the big you know, hook in the line there is when she said that name, we have, con- we all know what's happening. We've all heard it's happening. We all know who's been casted, but here she comes, Ahsoka Tano live action. And the last time that we saw, uh, or maybe not the last time, but Bo-Katan and Ahsoka Tano were together trying to convince, uh, you know, Obi-Wan and Anakin and Mando that there's some, you know, the, 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 the revenge of the Sith storyline could have been very different had they listened to, you know, yeah, so where, where they, they, they were, they were trying to get him to go after Maul, right? I'm trying, I need to rewatch it's, it's the final four episodes of the new season of Clone Wars that you're alluding to, right? No, and then they told Maul's story of they are after Anakin, you know, she, he tells her that, you know, you're my, my master, Sidious, he, he tells her everything. You know, as he's figuring out his plan, he's realizing uh, Palpatine's plan live action right in front of her. And she kind of holds back and doesn't say anything because Windu gave her the, you know, this is for the council only. Yes, yes. Which which I love because it's the Jedi hubris so directly biting them in the ass. Like the, 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 the very thing that doomed them, this political, overly rule-abiding nature ends up being what turns off Ahsoka from connecting the dots that would have exposed the plot. And Bo-Katan has been right there in all of that, right? So that's the size of type of character we just brought to the Mandalorian uh, world and universe. So, uh, so, so, you- so how about this? Um, uh you mentioned uh oh shit uh okay never mind what 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 were you gonna ask us now i'll i'll my my thought will come back to me no i just wanted to you know ask nick what did you think about how they arrived in say baby yoda and that whole scene that was some of the best live action star wars like just like mind-blowing quick action that i think we've seen in quite a while. I don't even know if, if it's, if it's maybe some of the best ever. I don't know if I'm willing to go that far yet, but I, I it really gave me feelings I mean, the, the, of like the, the visual effects of this entire show are some of the best ever. Like the, the mix of practical. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why, that's why I, I hate to sound you know, blasphemous and say like, Oh, it's, no. it's, it's, it's the best, but I mean, it really is just incredible. No, I mean, honestly, one of the problems with rise of Skywalker is that it felt a little overly digital Mandalorian. One of its yeah. greatest strengths is that it, it, it really has done a, such a great job of striking the balance. And we talk about this all, but between practical, and CG, right? And so don't feel guilty about enjoying the action you were seeing because now that they have a budget for season two, Jesse's talked about this, and I agree with him. This is literally some of the most high-quality production value. Like, forget about what screen it's on. This is the best. Like, like, like this is mind-blowing. Like, like Jesse pointed out to me, and in the next few times I watched it, I couldn't help but, like, when they drop in on that ship and Sasha Banks pulls the jetpack spinning dropkick... Are you kidding me? Like, it's all I mean, so bad. That, that whole, from, from start to finish, you know, what's the first pulse-pounding moment, right? Baby Yoda getting kicked into the... Into the oh, God. Oh, my God. Terrifying, so dude. Terrifying. My heart I mean, like, your, your emotions in that moment 
are, are just off the charts. And then, and then it really, it doesn't go down. There's no dip in action from that point on. And, and seeing all the way from getting kicked in to where the panel gets ripped off of his little baby carriage and he gets pulled out. I mean, the relief you get in that moment it's just beautiful. It's art. Okay, okay. So it's there's amazing. a ton to break down there. Um, first off, for not killing a Mandalorian before, that was a really good plan by the Quarren, right? Yes, like, can we it, all agree with that? It caught me by surprise. That's it, a good way to kill. Me. I mean, that is like the ancient way to kill a heavily armored knight, right? Why did the badass French knights lose it? I think it was like Avignon or whatever. I don't know. Whatever. There's famous knight battles in the past where like they get bogged down in the mud and the muck because it's wet. And they're over there. I'm right. You take you make their greatest strength their disadvantage. Mando's armor when he's in the water is a disadvantage. He drowns. Yeah. And like what a great way to kill a Mandalorian. Um the other thing that I love from that scene, uh Jesse, you can hop in and talk about the action, but at the end of it, when we when we rescue baby Yoda, again, we find a callback to Quill from season one or Quill. Uh I have spoken. Um, remember, he is the one who crafted Baby Yoda's carrier, is he not? And it was yes. the and it was the integrity of Baby Yoda's character or, or carrier that saved him from this Mamacore multiple ways. Mando had the remote controls to be able to close the hatch. The hatch then got chomped on and digested, but it stayed watertight and airtight, and it crumpled, but it didn't crumple to enough to injure Baby Yoda. So, like. Again, filler stuff becomes huge stuff, and, and I just really loved that in Baby Yoda's safety, we find a um, a callback to one of my favorite characters, and then and then I love the emotion of Mando, of Din Djarin, who is so stoic. I loved the palpable emotion, despite having the mask on, that you could see when he knew that Baby Yoda was all right. And and even when you talk about the palpable emotion, I also think of the moment when they pull him out and he's like, get the kid, save the kid. Yes. I mean, yeah. even in that moment, you, you feel, I mean, in your heart, man, you feel the pure desperation of, of a father figure, you know, almost losing their child. That's, that's something to me that really stuck with me after this episode. After I agree. What do you think he's going to, what do you think he's going to feel like when Ahsoka Tano has to take him away and train him to be a sick Jedi? <laughs> I, I think, I think his mission's going to be fulfilled. I think he's oh, more proud Lord. He's been more proud than he's ever been. So that's where this gets interesting, though. We can almost assure that his mission will not be fulfilled next episode, right? And you know that Bo-Katan recognized that baby Yoda. I mean, she looked at that thing and was... uh, She's seen Yoda. Oh, she's she's seen Yoda. You're right. Oh, yeah. She looked at this thing. She she can sense... She knows some powerful forces are at play here. Uh she sends him on his way. She sent him down the path to, to, well, they knew, dude, did they know about the child? Didn't they show up and say something about the child in my three, in my three viewings? I guess I never actually nailed this down. I'm trying to remember how, how Bo-Katan and them referred to the child. The Quarren did not know. They referred to him as a pet. Like, I feel like they made a point of that. Right. Yeah. Um, the foundling. Yeah. I'm I I guess I'm just wondering how much general knowledge is about the child out there. Yeah. I felt like okay. they were not really concerned about him at all. Yeah. I mean, really, the only reason that Mando ever went along is because they offered to show him where a Jedi was. But at no point in the in the planning did he really come up as a factor, I felt like. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, Dude, I'll, t- I'll no tell you what. The action scene is so good. And I think Mando 
while he questions, oh man, they took their helmets off. One thing that Mandalorians can't, they all respect is, is martial prowess. Can, can people, can these people really get down? And I think we're going to get a training session of Mando somewhere down the line, but he had to recognize their talent. It was like, he's yeah, got no, heavy feet. He's got heavy feet compared to <laughs> yeah, them. Dude. If, if, if this is O line play, I'm like, Mando's a little top heavy. His feet are a little plotting. Uh, he needs to take, you. he needs to take better angles. I mean, these night owls are like we said, I mean, as we'll get into the Gazanti cruiser, Assault. These are some SEAL Team 6 motherfuckers. I mean, these are the elite of the elite. Mando has a lot of heart, but he's like the Rudy in this episode. Like, he's not actually that skilled. (laughs) No, I, I, every second of action involving that group was just captivating. Yeah, first of all, think, think about this. He gets, they rescue his ass, they kick everyone's ass, they save his. Twice, two times. (laughs) <laughs> Save his baby. They come back. They kick everybody's ass again, and then he just gets to see their, you know, they're just dismantling. But I love these the jet stream of the Mandalorians taking off, oh, and then in their stalking it. mode. I mean, what? A okay, great okay, 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 okay. So Nick, oh, think about this. That. Think about this, and and see if you have anything to add. To this me and Jesse were texting about this, and it's just I, you know, the question was like, what are your favorite singular kind of shots? of this year's Mandalorian and I think about um the Mandalorian night scene where it's kind of like at dusk from episode two and he's just walking through the town. I think about some of the shots of the crate dragon episode one when it's just a singular sand person against like the giant cave with the with the uh, the animal next to him. I think about like the X Wing with the with the sun in the background. And Jesse, this shot was something that you pointed out. Yeah, the when they are first of all when they're taking off into that sunset and they're blowing up mm-hmm. their their the corn's long liner there. I mean, just so good. But when they come into their attack formation in behind the cargo uh cruiser, that is badass. It's, I mean, it's those, unbelievable. And you, I mean, I felt like I was watching Top Gun. Like, yes. I, if somebody doesn't remix Danger Zone <laughs> to some of these, they are missing out on some quality content. Oh my God, dude. You're right. I mean, Kenny Loggins as the jetpacks take off. I mean, it's two shots. You're right, man. And, and the, the whole show is so beautifully composed. And I guess at this point, then, we should all take a moment and, and, and take a bow. And say, wow, shout out Bryce Dallas Howard. I mean, talk about establishing yourself in Star Wars lore. Look, listen to us waps or exotic about this episode and, and just how beautiful it was and how well acted and all the things and recognize that the director uh, was Bryce Dallas Howard, who, I mean, from watching the making of last season, she was so new to this sort of production and to action specifically, right? She talked about that when filming the, the ATSD attack from, from last season, and everything. And so for her to go from, you know, from, from that being so new to her to now the like kind of mastery that she showed here, it's, it is truly fantastic. And what an incredible artist she is. No question. And can you imagine what the, you know, going to bed at night knowing like, all right, this thing's going public. 
tonight, you're going to oh, stay no, up. No. And just to get that immediate rush of, holy shit. I mean, everybody just went nuts, loved the episode. That had to be a pretty good feeling. It's like purple and gold, but on like an infinite amount of steroids. <laughs> like, yeah. like, it's like, and I already know how yeah. good we felt with stuff like that. So it's even better. Uh, right. Okay. Um, I've man. Okay. There's so many. Okay. Here's just a little small, little fun note. Uh, did y'all notice the new kind of Mandalorian curse word that we heard twice this episode? Dank Ferrick. Yeah. Dank Ferrick. Dank Ferrick. It's kind of <laughs> like, it's kind of like, God damn it. So like, if you're ever wanting to curse in public and you're in front of kids or something, just hit him with a Dank Ferrick. Dank Ferrick. Get your ass over here right now, dude. Um, I thought you would appreciate it, Nick, with your Houtini love. Uh, okay. Okay. Yes, here, I, here's where we should go next. Now that I am uh, done filling time. Nick, help us with the music here because me and Jesse and Jesse, I'll let you take this because you pointed this out to me, but Jesse was a massive fan of this night owl theme. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, he put in this kind of trancey house, uh, electronic, you know, matrix almost sounding a you know, song every time they show up. I mean, it's, this song comes on and it is just this rush of them dismantling whoever, whatever, and anything in their path. And it just keeps building. And then by the end, when they're doing the, you know, the coup de gras scene, when they took, take over the, the ship, it's just, you know, it's lined up with the blaster shots. It's lined up with the, the infrared screens from their masks. I just think, you're gonna see some sort of, you know, house techno remix of this on That's YouTube. That's what I was just about to say. Yeah, no, you were like, this is gonna get remixed into something incredible. Yes, it already is pretty housey though, right? Like they took the original theme from when they first land, and 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 I kept hearing Annihilation in it. But if you ever seen the movie, Annihilation, it was like a womp 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 womp. It's like along those lines, yeah. and then uh -huh. on the assault on the cruiser, then like Jesse said, it's like. Boom, 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 boom. It's like... So, like, Nick, what was... Because, okay, for those that don't know, again, Nick is a... He, he is a musician of the highest order. Um, his background is music. He restores drums in the LSU band. So, like, what's your view on what Gunnarsson's doing this episode? He... He really just doesn't miss, man, I know, week it's after crazy, week. dude. It's, it's he's not. Re he's not recycling anything, man. He's just hitting banger after banger, even when he's incorporating the main uh, da 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 yes, or any like in so many oh, different oh, ways. Well, okay, so the, well, like, and the, and then how's the child theme go? Is the child theme that we hear at the very end? The ba na 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 na. It's like it's like when he crushes the spider at the end. Yeah, and it kind of is that yeah. the is that Baby Yoda's theme? Like, there's so many themes that feel the so name, yeah. they feel so intimately familiar to me, and they're constantly weaved in ways that I don't even think I always recognize. I think he he drives it home in the best way. I think the the owl's theme is incredible, but also when the frog people are reuniting. Oh, dude. I, that music is I will beautiful. Say, I will say it has been a minute since any piece of content has really like moved me. Um, just cause I haven't really, I've been in school. I haven't been watching that much stuff. Yeah. And you're cynical. Fuck. To, to, <laughs> but to see, to see them come together. Yeah. After only knowing him for like two episodes, like I cried 
and I cried twice. It was the music, I, I man. That's the it. music to me. To me, like when and, and they did a good job of setting up, but ultimately it was that theme that you're talking about. And, and Jesse, that's what I, pushes I, it over the edge. Yes. Exactly. And Jesse, I think that speaks to what you were talking about, which is like the emotion of that family and what it meant to Baby Yoda and just the show in general. It's, it, it I, I think it's truly brought across the finish line by Gunnarsson. Gorenson. God damn it. Every fucking episode. Eventually, I'm going to get it correct. I mean, God damn, Ludwig. I, you're so good, and I'm just constantly disrespecting you, and I do not mean to. I'm drunk tonight. Um, so, okay, so the themes were all great, and they continue to weave them in interesting ways. And and he composes original music for every episode, right? I mean, how they released... Yeah, yeah that's, that, that's his compositions. Yes, like as they released the episodes last year, they released each episode with its own soundtrack. Um, okay. Uh, some other things that I thought were funny. I always love clowning a good stormtrooper. And Jesse, what is the male night owl's name? Oh God. It's like what axe wove. Oh God, dog it. I have it written down. Okay. Well, whatever. When he's like, uh, they couldn't hit the side of a bantha. I really like that. I, I thought that was very funny, right? Side of a bar inside of a bantha. I'm into that. Um, okay. Let's talk about this next. Then I want to talk about, unless anybody thinks I'm skipping over anything. Um, do you want to get into the Gazanti cruiser assault? I think that is an incredible action scene and we should take some serious time on it. Yeah. I think that it is, um, like Jesse was talking about earlier, the best example of Mando sit down this is the big leagues. This is how you've been fighting for bounties. This is how things are done in war. Jesse, what do you think? Yeah, yeah right. I completely agree. I mean, he just gets there and he's like, what do I do? He turns to look and they've already dismantled the front, the sent the front guy, the, the guys in the beginning. And I'm all, and I love, like you pointed out earlier, when she takes off with the jet pack or no, uh, you did, we talked about this over the phone, but when Sasha takes the guy and takes off with him and a hold jet packs him and then drops him on the <laughs> yeah. windshield of the cruiser. I mean, yeah. that is, that is badass. Actually you, and, and, and I'll give credit where credit's due lore master, because you're the one who point out all the classic Mandalorian combat moves from clone wars. The, the spinning dropkick infused with jetpack, the picking them up with the jetpack, like the jetpack Don noticed all the badass jetpack scenes. That's yeah, why we call I mean, the jetpack on. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and let me tell you, these things become a part of their bodies. I mean, they train with them. And what a great way to just quickly get rid of somebody yeah. is get close, catch them off guard, pick them up, and drop them from a 500 feet or so. Jesse, what did yeah. you think about uh, Bo-Katan's wrist blade? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, and she that's another great shot they've got. You know, she goes, I think she takes out like three of them, straight murders them. Yeah, when they then, first so when they first breach the hull, uh, like right before she goes in, she like looks at Mando and raises her arm and that fucking blade pops up and then she enters and just slices up three of them and Mando enters. He's like, like Oh, what the fuck, dude? Oh, He's dude, like, Oh my god. Like Mando's kind of so behind <laughs> that he like kinda like clumsily pulls out his pistol and he's like, Oh shit, I gotta be ready. Like that's how fast Bo Katana right, operates. Right, right. Dude, that's how I felt the first time I went to like a paintball one of these places. <laughs> I was like, 
hey, let's go check this thing out on a weekend. And, and they were, uh, there was these, you know, paintball is not made for tall people. Uh, and I went in there and there was these little ninja paintball guys, these little like 10 year olds could been playing there every weekend and they slaughtered me in my crew. But the, uh, but that's how he must have felt. I mean, he was like, you know, he, I, you know, I turned the corner, catch a paintball right in the face. I mean, he turns the corner, he's like, oh shit, I got to get my gun out. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Like and, he, and they he get was a not great prepared. shot of the helmet. They get a great shot of Bo-Katan's helmet when she finishes those guys and turns and kind of looks into the to the chamber of where she's headed. I mean, it's a great shot. Jesse, so uh, one thing I love about the helmet, I love the elliptical eyes. It drives home the night Me owl too. theme. It also looks super predatory. Um, do do is, is there any significance behind the paint job? Do we know? Is that just to reinforce the owl motif? No, no. A lot of these Mandalorian clans used to have their own. Um, you know, used to represent oh, like with colors, like like was, like yeah, like a coat yeah, of arms. So blue, you know, red, uh, you know, various different colors. So that that's not uncommon. So um, are they? They're you know, like a little I, European, like a little feudal in that sense. Yeah, I mean, even Boba Fett was green. I mean. Really, Mando's been the only one that I've seen that is just this bright, shining, you know, yeah. look at, you know, my best car. So I think that's part of what he's going to learn is maybe how to manage that a little better. Not be the, you know, have everybody looking at you when you walk off the, the ship or into a new, a new planet. So, um, obviously, so the assault was incredible. They land, pop, 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 fuck everybody up, <laughs> slice everybody up. Uh, one of the next things that I really enjoyed were the Imperial officers in this episode. We had one comedic, yeah. one a bit more serious. For some reason, one of the things that stood out to me is when I think of Imperial officers, I always think you got to get somebody who can kind of portray a real innate smugness, an innate confidence. Mm -hmm. Normally, those are guys with these kind of high British accents, right? They're sort of like, like talking, like, oh, well, then, you know, where the planet is. You know, these very, like, smug British. Like, these were actually American accents, but these guys played it with the gravitas where it kind of hit in the exact same way. For whatever reason, I found that intriguing. Uh, first, I really loved the Imperial officer that's trying to stand tall. And he's standing in the middle of the hallway and he's got the stormtroopers surrounding him. And immediately yeah. when they break through the door, he's like, oh, fuck. He's like, close the doors. Close the doors. And he's like, close trying, it, he's it. trying to still act brave. Yeah. They're like, what's yours? Like, all of them. All, all of them. Like, fucking close the doors. God damn it. All of them. All and then, of them. And then he gets fucking sucked out the cockpit. I mean, I guess. You know, I, like, we, we trapped them, sir. They're trapped <laughs> in the room that controls the big ass door that we're standing in front. So good, dude. Yeah, that that and that's when the captain really he flexed some of his acting muscle when he was when he was coming to the realization of what he just uh -huh. said. That was uh -huh. he really nailed that. They I was reading or, or watching one of these breakdowns on the inter, on YouTube that they that that's the same thing Luke said when they were getting smashed in the trash compactor. And he's like, turn it off, turn it off. They're like, which ones? Or he's like, all of them, all of them. Right. And uh, oh, I mean, I, I don't know if they're like identical in 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 the in the dialogue, but it's very similar. I mean, never uh, so doubt, it, never doubt, Filoni and Favreau's. Yes, it's the same thing as I'm altering the deal. It's not identical, but I, I don't think you can deny the spiritual connections. So that 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 officer yeah, little was, stuff oh, that it, it just pushes that that this series just over the edge. Yeah. Just that that little stuff. 
that you can draw the conclusions later. And it, it just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like a crazy, stupid fan for this series. But no, it's we are. We're like all fanboys. But chances are, if you're listening no. to this, you're a fanboy, right? I mean, yeah. And look what else they did. We got Moff Gideon. Boom. Here he is. Third episode. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he's, these these are these, like we talked about last season, these are these old head empire guys, these Nazi SS guys. They have nowhere else to go, dude. No, this, they is, are, this is your, like, Gerbils, you know, right? Like, these are your, like, long, if, if, if if the war tribunal catches you, you're hung. So you got to you gotta yeah. do whatever you can. Yeah, long live the empire, right? So, so, that, so that is interesting. Now. These are some true, well, I'm sorry, I don't mean to derail the conversation. These are... These are some true fanatics um, that are still in the Empire. And I think it makes sense if we're transitioning into the First Order. I don't know if Moff Gideon's at the head of that or what, but we'll see. Uh, but, but, but Jesse, sorry, continue down the Moff Gideon path. What did, how, how did you react when you saw Moff Gideon suddenly reenter the fray? Well, I mean, he, he gives you this immediate calculating commander, right? We already knew that about him. Once the guy, and the guy knows, as he gives the details of where the Mandalorians are um, on the ship, he's understanding that his value to Moff Gideon is basically zero at this point. And it orders him to, you know, you know what to do. And you see the guy, I mean, quickly in kind of a Joe Pesci, good fellas, pop, pop, you know, right, right in the back of the head and starts, you know, crashing the ship. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it showed the type of ruthlessness that that Gideon is. Um, And he kind of does it with a smile on his face, you know, with the smooth talk. He says, you know, you know what to do. Uh, And they listen. The best part about uh, this series is... Sorry, continue. But the best part about this series is we're three episodes in and we just now get Moff Gideon, and we get him in such yes. a, you know, a, a cold-blooded way. Well, and that's the that's the marinating that we're talking about that sometimes frustrates people. That is simultaneously the best part of all of this, right? Um, oh yeah. To me, it's one of the great reasons, and, and I got to give my 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 best friend from childhood and throughout my life. It's like a brother to me, but my boy Ian Lowe. Uh, like when you look at the success of the Marvel universe versus the DC universe, like Marvel let it marinate. They had an incredibly long-term plan that seemed super crazy and not even feasible, but they still built that world piece by piece. DC tried to accelerate it to the point and where in like the first movie or the second movie, they had Doomsday like fighting against Superman, right? And 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 so if you if you rush things they have a great potential to fall apart. And so I love yeah. the more slow pace of this show and how much more impact did Gideon hit with when we saw him this episode and we only got a taste. We didn't even see him. We saw him offer a 15-second a, a command to an Imperial officer, and yet because of the lack of seeing him, it's a scarcity principle from economics. We're like, oh, my God, dude, Gideon, what a fucking badass. Also, again, the um, loyalty that he commands is pretty fanatical and is very impressive. I think the real big conclusion that we can draw from that whole officer interaction is that 
you never really understood the mentality of these holdouts before you got that interaction. I mean, you see that old dude and you're kind of like, oh, he's just old now because he's old mm. and whatever. And the stormtroopers and the dusty armor, it's like that's all they got left. These stormtroopers were they were real. They, they 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 had they had the polished armor. They had all the they had the nice ship. They had the nice weapons. It's like you, it's so much more world building than I think you could do in an anecdote. I think just by seeing that and just by seeing the way they interact with each other, it, it's just it, it provides you a lot a lot more than uh, no. I, and I think you're hitting on something. I loved uh, Jesse. I don't know if this stood out to you, but the scared pilots in front of the Imperial captain to me. So I very much got the feeling that these were young kids and they grew up in the empire and they joined the Imperial army and here they are. And there's a long for the ride, man, right? Like the emperor's dead. They don't know shit about shit. What are they supposed to do? You're just going to leave the army when you're in the army. No, that's desertion. You get killed. Like they're just along right. for the ride. And when they hear Moff Gideon, like you were talking about this, when they hear Moff Gideon, be so cold and calculating and be like, oh, well, it's lost. You know what to do. The look of terror on their face really resonated with me. And it was really well done. And you start to understand just how desperate these Imperials uh, really are. Uh, yeah, and, and it was fantastic. Titus Welliver, by the way. Titus Welliver is the actor who played that Imperial officer. I was looking at that. Yeah, he nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. He did an incredible job. Um, Jesse, what about you? I mean, what, what, what did you think about not, not just Welliver's performance, but when Bo-Katan, when they eventually, and we'll go back to how they get in there. Cause there's something to highlight there, but when they eventually that's, break into the cockpit. The moment, yeah. When they interacted, that's the moment that you got the feeling that, Bo-Katan kind of let her guard down a little bit and she was looking for her precious. I mean, the dark saber was calling her name Yeah, and, and there is a, a huge confrontation that we are building towards to someone who, who has wielded that thing. And very much the, the dark sabers kind of got that demon sword quality to it, where it's a weapon that, 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 that is a harbinger. And so I, she wants it back and she wants it to quote unquote unite Mandalore. But she also personally, no doubt, wants that that power back. Yeah. I mean, she had it, and right? I mean, at the, am, am I wrong? That. But at the end of the animated series, we leave her with the Darksaber, correct? Correct. So Bean Ren, you know, kind of hands it to her and, and, and says, she, you know, I've got a different path. Um, hey. And so, so, and so we literally, yeah. So, but, but exactly, there. and we don't know how, and and ostensibly no. we believe now that she would have lost it to Moff Gideon, and so that explains the direct obsession, and like you said, so important to point out the letting down of the guard because you're right, dude. That's important to point out because I would almost guarantee that that fanaticism, that singular focus, ends up costing her at some point in her quest. Right, like, that, like that's, that's what I really noticed is that she she changes from the whole episode being very level headed, very cool, very like aloof almost, to where it's like a bloodlust. Dude, she doesn't even try to pull. She doesn't word. even. She doesn't even try to pull up the ship. She no. doesn't even hop on the controls. She just sits there, and even though they're nose diving into the ground, immediately grabs him and puts him against the wall. 
And you could say, oh, well, she just trusts her counterparts. That's fair. But a lot of times the leader who's first in the room would jump on the controls and try to pull it up. You see what her true priorities are in that moment. I agree with you, T-Bob, 100% that this is going to come back. This isn't the only time we're going to see her get in this frenzy mode. The fucking and, and it is. I believe it is going to cost her. The dark saber, as Jesse can tell you, Nick, and he knows way better than I. The saber made by the original Mandalorian Jedi. Was he of Clan Vizsla, Jesse? Yeah. Yes. Goddamn. Okay, so... um. So here we are. They assault the Xani cruiser. They kill everybody. They steal the cruiser. Uh, 15 minutes. Right? They steal the cruiser. And then uh, and, and then we get into the end scene, right? Where Okay, before we get there, though, how about Mando leaving it all on the field, right? He may not be the most <laughs> skilled warrior, but like we said, he is the Rudy of this episode. Full effort. They're pinned down. The ship's crashing. They need something to happen. Mando just straight up bends over like Wolverine takes all the punches and manages to grenade out the squad. Great job, Mando. If you can't, if you can't go through the legs and spin and dunk, you got to dive after the fucking ball. And that's what Mando did in that moment. He, he showed a lot of heart in that just small little bit. And I really think his addition was what pushed him over the edge. Well, I think that's what I, but what bought him his ticket to Ahsoka. I think that's where, that's fair. That's where Bo-Katan said, okay, well, uh, you know, I'm going to recognize that act. You're right. It was you kind know, of like, kinda, the, the, the entire thing was kind of like a tryout, right? And that was the moment where she, that's where she went from the mocking, this is the way, to the sincere, this is the way. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Um, okay. So other things that I love, so they talk about it or whatever. Uh, she says, this is the way, man. I was like, look, I got to roll them on a quest. Jesse, how did you feel? when you heard Ahsoka Tano's name uttered in live action. I thought it was incredible. And and it was so, it's like we said again, they let it marinate. All they did was say her name and everybody gets pumped up. That's all they did was say, you know, say her name and give the location. And I think, you know, for, for the people who've never seen it, but it's going to be an interesting way to, for them to meet a new character. But for folks who've kind of been watching it, you know, you've kind of seen this this character since they were a little kid come all the way to where they are today, and and you know, uh, you know, I'm gonna save the you got to save the I'm gonna keep my powder dry until she comes on for live action, which I which we think's obviously coming in the next couple of episodes, and then we'll really pay, you know you know yeah. pay homage yeah. to Ahsoka Tano's you know top Jedi ranking status. Yeah. But she's uh, so I, I I couldn't help but feel Nick the same way that you felt when you saw the crate dragon egg. That's how Jesse felt when he heard Ahsoka Tano's name uttered in live action. No man, that that I can empathize with that so much because just seeing that exist just validates my childhood almost. Yeah, <laughs> like that's right. kind of how it feels. And it was it was the ultimate realization of probably the best Star Wars character that we've never seen in live action yet, and we're finally about to. Yeah, see. I would I would say she's the best that we haven't and, seen yet. And 
not only that, she is the one that you've seen the most. You got to realize you, with the other stories, you've got only a few movies with, uh, with clone wars. You've got this, you know, from a little kid all the way to full on force wielding, you know, master wizard at the end i mean she she's yeah. a top you've seen her yeah she's you, you really have seen her whole life you're absolutely right yeah we've and so they're bringing her to live action this is years in the making i mean and, and for me personally it's such an interesting journey because i remember when the clone wars movie was originally announced and i heard the idea of this uh, kid apprentice for anakin and i was so innately turned off and I was, I was, I was like, oh, this is some kid bullshit, blah, 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 blah. And I didn't watch Clone Wars at the time, neither the movie nor the series. And then I revisited as adult with a little more perspective, and I kind of realized the, the value therein. And so, yeah, it is awesome, man, to now see her and how differently I feel now. And what a journey, you know. You're only alive. The story's being told when you're alive, or the story's being told. We don't live in the time of Zeus and all these other things, but I can't help but feel. This is the same th sort of mythology. And so to see that mythology recognized in this way in my lifetime and see my own emotions change in that way with this fake character in that lifetime is really fascinating to me. And it's, it's one of the reasons why I love Star Wars and artists and everybody who's kind of crafted this story uh, throughout the years. It's awesome, man. I can't agree more. And now we're going to see Ahsoka. Um, last couple of thoughts here. I love the freedom that a jetpack gives you. I love how Mando's like, I can't come with you. They're like, bro, it's cool. We get it. And then he just dives out of a flying ship. Right? It's like, all right, dude, holla, bro. All right, I'm up. It's like, he's not like, he's not like driving away. He's not like walking out the front door. It's the equivalent of the same thing. But like, imagine you're like, all right, yeah. dude, I'll catch you tomorrow. And then he's like, just flying through the like air. Jetpack out of there. And then uh, the last thing that I love about this episode, man, when he jumps into hyperspace, when he tells Baby Yoda the child themes playing, which the whole spider scene at the end was interesting. I don't know if that was to reinforce an emotional connection, prove a baby Yoda will or won't eat, but it's like, it's kind of scary. And then it hits that reassuring, da, 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 but I can't, I, I'm not good. I can't do it, but it hits that reassuring theme after he kills a spider. And then he's like, you know, I'm going to reunite you with your people. And it's so hopeful. And it leaves you on a really good note. And then it leaves you on a funny note, right? We began with the ship crashing, which is very funny. And then when they take off in the end, literally as they jump into hyperspace, a fucking piece of ship like breaks off and is floating off that. in space. And it's actually, it's just such a nice comedic touch from this show. Yeah. And the Razor Crest is, in, is beat to <laughs> shit. I mean, that thing, that thing is going wherever it's going. It's not going in a hurry. It is a piece of shit. I mean, I don't know whether to criticize or give credit to the Quarren that he managed to literally it tie it together to with Donaldson, Bill, Glass, and Second, second OTB sponsor mentioned on the pod. Uh, for real, though, dude, tow that bitch. I mean, it is. It, it jumped to light speed and it's being held together by ropes. Uh, Mon Calamari ingenuity knows no bounds. Uh, hey, I mean, Mandalore gives the guy some crap, but in the end, like 
mad props for getting that thing yeah, back up and running saying. after he's it. Like, he just like, crashed into the yeah, ocean. I mean, he basically told me, he's like, look, bitch, I did what I could, okay? I got ropes and fucking seaweed over here, and I got you jumping to hyperspace. He tells him up front. He, t- he tells him up front. He's like, fix it? Nah. <laughs> exactly. And then he says, but I can make it fly. It's like, yeah, he yeah, tells yeah. you to jump. So, incredible episode. Okay, okay. We've gone very long here. Um yeah and and it's interesting nick because you said you wanted to start the episode talking about what comes next and then we spent this entire hour plus talking about what just happened uh so give me just a minute or two on uh what y'all think comes next nick what do you think what where do you think we're going from here i think we're going for some sort of filler episode next i think we're going to get something involving a road bump along the way to find ahsoka but we're going to get there eventually um but in this next episode, I'm going to be curious to see how much more mission-oriented Mando is. Whether or not he's kind of just like hanging out. I mean, not necessarily like lackluster as he was in the first in the first season. But I want to see what what haste he, he moves himself with. I'm interested in seeing that. And I don't think we're going to get the big Ahsoka reveal because they don't. Uh, the tone of the series has not been to do two crazy seismic things. So I, well, so. I kind of agree with you, right? I call it the full DBZ treatment. I watched Goku run down the goddamn snake road for so many weeks of my life. I watched him like <laughs> yell about turning super Saiyan for multiple weeks of my life. Um, yeah. I think that next episode will be a quest to find Ahsoka. Maybe you get a hooded Ahsoka at the end. Um, but yeah. I'm here for it. I mean, I love it. I love, I love the, I love it. Like we said, it's not always filler. Jesse, what do you think comes next episode? <laughs> I think we're gonna get grief cargo. I think we're gonna get the old school, the old team are, are together some kind of way. I think we're gonna get the uh, the team back together from the from the uh, from the first season. Grief cargo and the shock trooper whose name escapes me at this point. Oh, uh, uh, Cara Dune. To her. Cara Dune. Oh, maybe, I love we're, her. maybe we're headed there. Uh, you know, maybe the, the the Razor Crest needs some help. But I I agree with you that we're not going to get Ahsoka right out of the gate. It's these guys don't they let it marinate. So that is a little interesting, though. These guys have a kind of consistent. Uh, well, I almost feel bad saying subversion of expectations because it almost became a meme in the Game of Thrones TV saga. But like, they do have to do a pretty good job of, you know, bobbing when you think they're going to weave. I did not expect to hear Ahsoka's name so blatantly. Do you think they just kind of shock you and give Ahsoka from the beginning? In mentioning as you did earlier in this episode about how much they love to take chances. I'd personally, I think they could pull it off. If they choose to do it, I don't think it's going to disappoint. I think I would agree with that. The, I, I wonder if we're going to get a, an, like how you're going to introduce Ahsoka. I think that's what we, I don't, is it going to be in a lightsaber way? Are you going to see a lightsaber? Are you going to see her, you know, wield the force in a really, you know, incredible way? Uh, or are you going to see a calm kind of Gandalf way? You know, who knows? But it's going to oh be an absolute. Uh, Dude, how's Ahsoka you know, going to react when she sees Yoda? When she sees a, a member of Yoda's race, but as a baby? I mean, surely she'll freak oh, out. Yeah, right? That's going to be a powerful moment. 
Okay, okay. So as you can see, it's we're in for a great ride, y'all. We're in for a great journey. Maybe the best episode this last episode. Um, it was awesome. Uh, Nick, do you want to take us out? Yes, guys. So we knew this one was going to be a whale of content. Um, and I think I speak for all of us when I say that we cannot appreciate you guys enough for tuning in and listening to Four Mandalore Podcast. As always, you can follow us at Four Mandalore Pod on Twitter for the latest updates. And I wanted to give a shout out to at Star Wars Now This, who shouted us out along with a bunch of other Mandalorian podcasts. Guys, we can't appreciate you guys enough. And we really appreciate the love. Hit us up on Twitter. Ask us questions like our guy, Kyle, Kyle Acock. We appreciate you asking us the question for this episode. We did not get to well, it. What do you ask? But, well, well, let's get to it now. What do you ask? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do we think Bo-Katan's a one-off character? Or do we just get a sneak peek at what season three will be about? Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, so you probably gathered it from this episode. Not a one-off character. Mandalorian world. But Kyle, we, we sincerely appreciate the yeah. question and we appreciate all the audience interaction we've been getting on Twitter. At 4 Pod is where you can find us, guys. Thank you so much again for tuning in. This has been the 4 Mandalore Podcast. Mandalore Podcast.